Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast with hosts Rev. Dr. Ben Haupt and Rev. Micah Glenn. In today's episode, Ben and Micah sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up, and welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I'm your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and of course, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Reverend Dr. Ben Haupt. How are you, bro? I'm good. I'm, I'm really uh, I'm jazzed by that, by that. I'm good. I'm jazzed by that music that uh, played in the intro. I think this is our first use of that, of that music. Um, and uh, it feels good. So um, I know the story about where that music came from, but would you tell our listeners? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, growing up, you have friends, and some of your friends do all types of different things, and, and one of my friends uh, became a music producer, mostly hip-hop and R&B, uh, and when we were thinking of what can we have played out, and we were racking our brains of where we could get some relatively license-free music, it's like, oh, wait, I have a friend who makes music and makes all types of different types of music, beats and things like that. Uh, why not ask him? And he sent us a few. I liked yeah. them all. Some of them were a little too R&B for us. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> two pastors sitting around a table. But nonetheless, uh, we got one that, that worked well, and it's, uh, I, I love it. Over here bobbing my head as, as the intro comes in, getting ready to sit down. Absolutely. You know, I love, I love that kind of thing. You know, I suppose we, we could have gone out to, you know, some generic place and founded, found some music that um, was generically done by some generic person that uh, some company has, you know, stolen the name off of. Right. Um, but, but you found a, a friend whom you know and trust and who's good and has a background. And then we're incorporating that into to our work. And I think so many amazing moments in ministry, in my ministry, were when I was like, oh, well, you know, Joe or right. Sally or Jim or whoever are doing this really cool stuff. And let's, let's just uh, give it a try. Well, and, you know, he made it not knowing what it was going to be made for. Little, little did he know yeah. he was making it uh, for Under the Fig Tree. I love it. Uh, but, of course, today we're joined by uh, a special guest, as we said, uh, Reverend Dr. Leo Sanchez. Yeah, Dr. Sanchez, we are grateful to have you. So um, we have this all rehearsed so that we get all these things <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. And, you know, Dr. Sanchez takes this all really seriously. No, he does. He does. Because there, there are... Um, uh, people that have given to this, but Dr. Sanchez, Leo Sanchez, is a full professor of systematic theology at Concordia Seminary, where he holds the Werner R. H. and Elizabeth Ringer Kraus Chair for Hispanic Ministries. He's also the director of the Center for Hispanic Studies. Please welcome Dr. Sanchez. Great to have you with us. Yeah, good to be here. It's uh, always a pleasure, and uh, being a musician myself, I appreciated the uh, the nice story about the uh, the little bit of music there to get going. You know, that's that's a gift from God. Luther considered music uh, one of the highest gifts, second only to theology sure. and the Word of God. You know, so I guess to be a, a little bit of a theologian and a little bit of a musician is not too bad. 
at least in Luther's eyes. <laughs> well, I, I always admire people who can like produce music. So I, I played yeah. the trumpet for most of my life. And so I can play the trumpet. And, mm -hmm. you know, by now, what, almost 30 years into it, I'm, I'm kind of decent. I'm not the best because yeah. I don't do it regularly. Uh, but for somebody to have a feeling or an idea in their mind and then to translate that mm -hmm. into musical tones always blows me away. And the fact that one of my best friends does it, I, I'm always super impressed. And to see him do it, live oh, as awesome. he like puts it together and puts layers on layers it, it, yeah. yeah it's a, incredible it's almost as if it's a calling isn't it <laughs> well while we're there uh, but before we jump into that so the topic today is going to be calls the holy ministry oh, calls to the holy ministry calls to church work and then because we have an expert with us on specific subject in particular how the holy spirit works in the world uh, we're going to be relating to the two so we have the, the call to ministry in general, then we have the Holy Spirit, and how does the Holy Spirit now call people into ministry, and how does it all work? But before we jump into the topic, uh, we've had Dr. Sanchez on our show before in our last season, uh, but what we've begun to try to do is, as we have guests, especially ones who are called to ministry, is to ask Dr. Sanchez, what was your path to becoming called to ministry? Yeah, so I... I, I was introduced to the church, I would say, uh, already in elementary school, but it, it was through um, the school that I attended. It was an Episcopal school, so I think that was my first time uh, attending church, and I sort of remember enjoying, enjoying you know, discussions about theology and things like that, uh, but uh, it, I think it was later... Uh, that uh, a real desire to work in the church and do the work of the Lord came up. And by later, I mean not that late. I mean, it was probably middle school. Sure. And that was actually through the ministry of Pentecostal uh, uh, preachers in town. You know, we were kind of a nominally Catholic family. So it's not like I was attending church. The only church that I had access to was through the school, sure. the Episcopal, right? Uh, but with the Pentecostals, you know, they like to use their Bible and uh, talk about what God is doing in their lives and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that really piqued my interest. And, um, and then to make a long story short, I came to the United States on a foreign exchange program in high school, met a Lutheran family. They were uh, LCMS Lutherans from Williamsburg, Iowa, population 5,000. A uh, little town compared to the city of Panama, you know, sure. where I came from. And, uh, and so they invited me to church. And again, that desire to, you know, uh, work somehow in connection to the church came up. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, uh, went to the uh, theology program, went into the theology program at Concordia University of Wisconsin. And that was, you know, through the LCMS, uh, you know, my, my pastor in Iowa, you know, uh, got me the uh, opportunity to go there and study. And then went to uh, our sister seminary in Fort Wayne and then finally St. Louis for a PhD program. And uh, so, you know, I think God used in many ways a lot of ordinary means to get me to where I am today, you see. And uh, a bunch of different situations and people all related one way or another to the life of the church. 
And it's almost as if there was really nothing else for me to do. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, uh, I remember not wanting to go into ministry at some points. Uh, or wanting to maybe do other things. Uh, but, you know, God was laying out a path through a bunch of different people in my life. So that's the long story short. Yeah, what I, I really love about that story is, is just this idea of an exchange year. And you grew up mm. in a nominal family. Then you experience a different denomination. Then you, you live with this family that happens to be LCMS Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And just by proximity of living and growing together, the path eventually leads to here. It, it's laid out before you, mm -hmm. like you said, in very ordinary means, people to people, people encouraging other people. Uh, who embody the Holy Spirit via their baptism. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, that's kind of how it worked for me. Not quite the same way. I wasn't on an exchange program, but, you know, mm -hmm. struggling in life. And people are like, oh, you're, you're doing well with the kids in the church. Maybe you should become a youth pastor. And it's like, hmm. same thing. Like, I wanted to be a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. I love chemistry. Thought about being a chemist. And, and then somebody says, why don't you become a youth pastor? And bing, okay, maybe I should. And it, it's funny because I got a degree in chemistry, and because not a lot of graduate students go in past that, they or like not just chemistry, they go on to like mm -hmm. uh, chemical engineering and things like yeah. that. I got invitations from schools all over the country saying, come be a graduate student <laughs> in our chemistry program, which was enticing, but, but yeah. you know, the Holy Spirit's hold was already bringing me here. Yeah. Yeah. We're glad we're glad that God grabbed a hold of you and yes. uh, brought you brought you to this to this place. But I'm glad. Well, for that. and I love chemistry. I love science. My son Jonathan's really into insects and nature and things like that, and asks all those questions. I love being able to yeah. answer comprehensively. But it's the same thing when people ask me, mm -hmm. "What else would you do?" I'm like, I don't, I don't think there's anything else for me. Like mm -hmm. I can still be interested in mm -hmm. other things. I can still have hobbies, but on a day to day basis. Uh, being a pastor and walking alongside people that way, and now in my role as the director of recruitment, um, even now, I, I, I can't really imagine anything else, at least for a, a significant amount of time, is that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, yeah. uh, learning it almost on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, but nonetheless, it's where I am, and yeah, I feel really yeah. blessed. So Dr. Sanchez, you've, you've written a couple of books, but you, um, you were read. Re Relating to us that um, the Pentecostal Church played a, a role mm -hmm. um, in your faith formation. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think everybody kind of knows about the Pentecostal Church, that the Holy Spirit is a big deal in the Pentecostal right, Church. Right. They talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe uh, for listeners that have been Lutheran for a really long time, they know that we talk a lot about Jesus and sometimes we talk <laughs> about the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. So, so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, these these two books. I have I have your first one in front of me, Receiver, Bearer, and Giver of God's Spirit. That was your oh, your yeah. dissertation, right? Basically, yes, that was the revised dissertation. I I think revised ten years after. Wow! Hey, that gives me hope. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I finished my dissertation in 2019, and I've been fretting that oh, I missed my I my opportunity this summer, and I'm never gonna revise my dissertation. I have hope now. It can be done. And eight more years to <laughs> procrastinate. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, but you know, I I think the way I like to uh, think about it is. 
I had experiences in the Catholic Church as well. But one of the messages that I always heard was a message of Jesus being in solidarity with the poor and those who suffer. And mm-hmm. I think there is a place for that, you know, in the, yeah. in the Christian tradition, uh, for sure. With the Pentecostals, I think it was more uh, Jesus is victorious. Mm-hmm. You know, he's no longer dead. He's alive. So you will go to a Pentecostal church and there'll be no cross, for instance, because, mm. well, we want to have a cross there, right? He's risen. But often that got paired up with a message that emphasized a lot, Jesus sort of driving out demons and healing people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Again, all of which has a place in how we think about who Jesus is and so on. Uh, but with the Lutherans, what was interesting was the emphasis was more on uh, Jesus as one who saves us from our sins. Yeah. And I don't think that was ever quite clear mm. in, in, other, in other places, you know. Um, and so that really drew me in. Uh, you know, what has Jesus done for us to deliver us from our sins? Mm. Uh, and then how that fits into kind of the broader story, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, and then, you know, spending time in the Lutheran Church, the emphasis on Jesus and the centrality of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, you know. And coming out of the experience, I think, of Pentecostalism, in part, to be honest about it, made me ask, well, what do Lutherans do with the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and it was pretty clear that the Spirit uh, creates and sustains faith in Jesus as Savior, yeah, you know, and that third was article, kind of a, right? Right, right. The yeah. article, the creed stuff, that was pretty clear. Uh, but then I also wanted to ask, well, what does that uh, life of faith look like? Mm. You know, in other words, how does the spirit shape the people of faith? Uh, what does that work of formation look like? You know, so one, once so Luther's calls, calls gathers, enlightens, right. sanctifies, but. You're you're right. you're uh, giving commentary on Luther's commentary, in in yes. some ways. Yeah, right, right. So once the Spirit calls by the gospel, which is true of every Christian, right? This is like the the calling of the Christian in the in the general sense uh, through baptism. What does that look like in the life of the one who has been called right. in, in baptism? And that takes you might say different paths. You see. So the whole concept of the callings yeah. or the vocations, right? Yeah. So the Spirit calls us by the gospel through baptism, but then sends us along different callings mm. in life. And part of the Christian life is to discern what life in the Spirit looks like for those who have been called in baptism. You know? So what yeah. are the calling or callings uh, in life? Yeah. It's interesting you bring up callings, callings, and vocation, uh, because if you didn't know, Concordia Seminary has a summer program for high school students to discover that called vocatio, which takes place at the end of June uh, every year. Uh, And so if you are a high schooler and you know a high schooler, be on the lookout because we'll begin sending out information on vocatio next summer, again, end of June 2022, specific dates to come soon. But it happens to be that Dr. Sanchez will be our plenary speaker uh, for that event next year. So if you want to receive one of his books, probably have it autographed with a 
little special message Whatever to you. Whatever it takes to get you. <laughs> exactly. Be on the lookout and, and register for Vocatio 2022. That yeah. being said, we were talking about a specific call to the church and the call to holy ministry, right. which in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, it's in it for all the right reasons. We lift pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much, though, uh, that the Office of Holy Ministry is a part of our doctrine as a church. So if you look in your Augsburg Confession, right after Article 4, which is on justification, which some people consider the pillar on which our faith stands, yes. uh, right after justification comes Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession, which is about the ministry. Uh, and I just so happen to have it in front of me, uh, and I'll read it real quick. It mm-hmm. says, To obtain such faith, God instituted the office of preaching, giving the gospel and the sacraments, through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit who produces faith where and when he wills. In those who hear the gospel, it teaches that we have a gracious God, not through our merit, but through Christ's merit, when we so believe. And then a kind of an antithesis, it says, Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that we obtain the Holy Spirit without the external word of the gospel through our own preparation, thoughts, and works. And so, essentially, you know, we really hold to faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of God from Romans chapter 10, uh, that it, it is through preaching and hearing God's word that the Holy Spirit is breathed into people. It's a part of our entire sacramental theology. You can't have a sacrament without the word of God, but you also can't have a sacrament without something on earth tied to that word of God. That's why baptism is God's word and water. That's why the Lord's Supper is bread and wine and God's word. They go hand in hand. And the office of preaching then is called to to preach God's word into the lives of believers and Mm -hmm. uh, those who do not yet have faith, right? Hoping that through God's word, they become inspired by the Holy Spirit and come to faith, become a baptized child of God. But also to administer the sacraments, to baptize people and to to distribute the Lord's Supper. And so that's that's our theology of the office of holy ministry that Mm -hmm. Everybody's called to be a Christian, and in that Christian calling, everybody's called to be a Christian in their day-to-day vocation, no matter what that is. Mm -hmm. And then some are called to serve the church. Of course, we have the Office of Holy Ministry, and we have some auxiliary offices now, deaconesses, DCEs, Lutheran teachers, who also, uh, in their vocation, Mm -hmm. you know, teach God's word. And the way my wife and other deaconesses, I think, explain it, that they do their work to point people towards the pastor where they can receive word and sacrament ministry. And so uh, I, I brought this up a little bit earlier uh, because it's a good distinction, especially if you're sitting there and you're trying to discern whether becoming a pastor or another church work vocation is for you, is this idea of an immediate call versus immediate call. Mm. Uh, and while I have these two doctors of theology around yeah, me, right. can you guys just take a moment just to dissect those two different things? Because it's very important if yeah. you're discerning uh, yeah. what is happening for you. Right, so one way to think about this is uh, when we look for God's will for our lives, do we first look outside of us to figure out what that will is, or do we look inside of us? This is kind of how I would pitch it, you know. So Luther is not against the idea that the Spirit dwells in the believer, right, you know, and that the Spirit guides. Uh, the believer, but uh, but Luther uh, first speaks about what the Spirit is doing through the word that is preached and that is read, uh, and so sort of outside of the believer, right? And then you know 
the Spirit then also brings about the fruits of that word in the believer's life. You know, so I think what when you see the the uh, the, the uh, Anabaptists and so on, you know, condemn because uh, they think in terms of the reception of the Spirit through what one does. Right. I think part of it is the critique of this sort of internal spirituality where you're kind of looking at what God might or not be doing in your heart yep. mm-hmm. before kind of looking more externally at what God is telling us in his word, in his scripture, and through teachers, you know, uh, in the church or at home and so on. So I think, you know, the idea of an immediate call is that the spirit sort of immediately calls you to do something like in the heart without any mediation, right? Without an external word or, you know, teachers in the church who walk along with you and that could be mom and dad at home you know in a christian home and so on and the counsel they give and so on based on the word of god and what they have learned since infancy and and such things so i i I think we acknowledge however that in the church you know once you hear the word from others in the community of the church uh, based on scripture then there are times when you know you you might feel the spirit stirring the heart and saying, oh, you know, this is the way this word might apply in your life. It might apply in a way that uh, you follow one of these paths or callings right. that lead you to proclaim that word to others and teach that word to others or support the proclamation of that word and so on, you know. And uh, But that inner stirring, right, uh, I think is what moves many people to come to seminary at times. Yeah, 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 exactly. Of course, you know, and they have that kind of internal, uh, immediate, immediate call. Although I would argue that it has been mediated already in advance. Yeah, yeah. because of yeah. the contacts and relationships, you know, in the in the in the church. And then what we tell our students is, well, it is the stirring of the Holy Spirit, and you're kind of following that and doing that here. But until you get another call from outside of your own heart, meaning, you know, a congregation, right? The spirit calling through the same church that sent you this way. Yeah. They're going to call again at some point, God right. willing, yeah. and confirm that the stirrings of the heart were indeed God's will for you to go out and serve him in this way. And, you know, some, for some people, they might say, well, this is not really what I thought God wanted me to do. So they come to the seminary a couple of years or so. Still a great experience, right. but then they end up doing maybe something else. We don't have too many of those, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but we help people along their path. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it often ends up with another call from the church, from outside of our hearts. You know. So. I, I have a, a place in... Um, so I teach HOM 1, Homiletics 1, Introduction to Preaching. And... Uh, one of my favorite lectures is uh, very early on, because these are typically first-year students. They're all wrestling with, mm. I, I thought I had an internal call, and then, and then mm. they come to people in your, in your systematics department, and they say, no, no, it's not about the internal call. It's about the <laughs> external call. And, and maybe even to, to kind of be provocative, um, you know, somebody will say, well, there is no internal call, or don't worry about your internal right, call. Right. And students get this kind of like, oh, no, a crisis of faith. But, but it, that crisis of faith is, is kind of the crucible 
for learning theology. Yeah. And they're yeah. really wrestling with this stuff. And yes. so yes. I, I take them through, um, we look at Titus 1.5, where Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete to put things in order and to appoint elders. So there, it's very mediated. Mm. Um, it's mm. not the Holy Spirit like writing in letters in the sky, boom, right. uh, you should be a pastor. No, it's, it's Titus saying, hey, man, you have the gifts, and I want you to be uh, a, an overseer. Mm-hmm. And, and yet when Paul visits those people in Acts chapter 20 in Ephesus, the Ephesian elders, he doesn't say to them, hey, look, um, you were appointed through mediated means, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He doesn't say like, you're my men. I put you in this office. Right. He says, the Holy Spirit yep. has mm-hmm. made you overseers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's this holiness to this mediated call. I think mm-hmm. that's, in, especially right. in America and kind of our evangelical Pentecostal world, people sort of think, well, maybe the mediated call is kind of secondary. It's like Mm. the Holy Spirit didn't show up in a miraculous way. It was kind of mediated, so maybe it's less holy. Uh, But but, uh, Paul doesn't pit these things apart and say, you know, the the immediate call directly from God is really holy. And, you know, what Titus or... Um, or a friend or a pastor uh, that said, you should be a pastor, that's kind of, oh, that's secondary. No, no, not at all. Yeah, these, are, yeah. these are both from gifts from God. Well, another thing that reminds me of that was the call of the uh, deacons in the book of Acts. They yeah. called people who uh, were wise in the spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they call them to a particular uh, way of serving. You know? So in other words... The wisdom of the spirit could be used in different ways. Of course. You know, but when you get that external call, it gets a little bit more specific. This yeah. is one way specifically in which you're going to use that wisdom. And I think it's the same for Christians. You know, there might be many things that the spirit is doing inside of you. Yeah. I mean, there, there, the many gifts that you might have, you know, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, uh, they're all going to be used all the time right. in every single way. Right. So the, what the external call does is where the spirit says, you're going to be called for this specific purpose and you're going to use whatever I have given you <laughs> yeah. for this task, you know? And, uh, and so I think that gives us kind of a, a, a wonderful um, specificity, uh, but also... Uh, it's not as burdensome, you know. Mm. If I were to use every single gift that the Spirit has given me uh, to do everything, you know, I, I die. I can't do it, you know. Mm. I'd be doing too much stuff. I got enough to do already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's also comforting, you know, because generationally, every generation has this different lo- level of angst. And I, as I look at millennials and maybe the younger ones, uh, Gen Zers, and then the next generation, no purpose is one thing and maybe every generation of young people struggles with purpose in life mm-hmm. and i'm just mm-hmm. kind of growing out of it as i approach 40 but nonetheless <laughs> like you know people ask they'll ask me all the time like how do you know you're supposed to be a pastor and then more specifically how do you know you're supposed to be the director of recruitment at concordia seminary in st louis and i answer uh, usually the same exact way i know that i'm supposed to be the husband to dorothy glenn Mm. because I am 
Right at one point, there was a letter that I received uh, from on behalf of Concordia Seminary saying, we extend a call mm -hmm. to you to be the director of recruitment. Uh, and I could have said no, because I did at the time have a call yeah. somewhere else to serve a different, uh, well, Lutheran Hour Ministries, a different organization. And before I served at Lutheran Hour Ministries, I was a missionary in Ferguson. So how do you know you're supposed to be a missionary in Ferguson? Because I was called and I accepted it. Mm -hmm. There's a, that, that mediation. A and then even before that, uh, just because... Ferguson was my first call out of seminary. So there was people in my congregation saying, hey, you should be a pastor. Then I did the requirements to begin to apply to CSL. In my application to CSL, went before a committee, and guys sat around a table and said yes or no. They said yes. Yeah. And then I went through classes, and I had to either pass. I, I passed all my classes. I won't say <laughs> fail. Uh, that wasn't an option, right? Uh, and then there's the call day that where our names get shuffled into a pile and they come up one by one we could very well do what they did in the book of acts you guys could roll dice yeah and and right. that could determine right. where you were placed right and it would be just as faithful because <laughs> you would receive a call and you'd have to accept it or decline it and that like you said that mediation yeah. of going through these different processes now mm -hmm. is is so comforting and it is there's no guesswork so anybody i could show up on CSL's doorstep and say, hey, the Holy Spirit talked to me yesterday. They want me to be your director of recruitment. Here I am. Give me a paycheck. Let's go. Yeah. But because we have this, this way in the age of the church that Jesus set out for us of how we're meant to do things, it, it works very well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, sometimes you get placed in somewhere that's a bad fit, maybe, and, and that's a trying time. But like you said, it could yeah. be a crucible for learning. Right. Yep. Uh, it, it, I think too often when guys get, or, or women get placed in bad situations, they walk away bitter. Mm. Uh, but you, you can walk away from that and say, what, what, was, what was good? Because everything probably wasn't bad. Yeah. And, and then what can I do? What can I take away from it learning forward? Hopefully the congregation or organization also learns. And then together we grow as the body of Christ. Yeah. You know, that, that's a help, very helpful point about the struggle aspect yeah. of this. You know, it's not as if we have a direct line, you know, uh, to whatever is in the mind of God all the time. Right, <laughs> right. You right. know, there's a hiddenness to God's will, yeah. you know, and, uh, and how it applies specifically in every single moment of life. So I think the moment of struggle, I think that's very helpful to remember that life in the spirit includes the notion of struggle. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at uh, Jesus's own life in the spirit. It's a life full of struggle. You know, he's, he's tempted, he's persecuted, you know, ultimately gets killed uh, for the sake of God's word. You know, so it, it is life in the spirit does bring an element of struggle uh, with it. Uh, and and yet in the midst of the struggle, what do we have? Well, you look at Jesus's life. He stands firm in the word when he's attacked by the evil one. And he prays, yeah. not your will, but my will be done. And so, you know, Jesus has given us the same spirit. And uh, with that, he has given us the word and prayer. I like to speak of that as life in the desert, life mm. in the wilderness. Yeah. You know? yeah. And sometimes you're going to have to struggle with God's will, but you have his word and you have prayer. And so it's okay to pray, come Holy Spirit and, you know, help me discern what God's word means for this moment in life and as I go through the seminary and you know how you would like me to use the gifts you have given me for the sake of you know serving people and you'll bring with uh, the work that you do things that you learn 
in a very ordinary ways, you know. I mean, I come from a family of teachers. I had a lot of teachers. Well, I ended up teaching mm. at the seminary. I'm not so surprised now that I look back, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, my, you talk about liking chemistry. My father retired as a chemical engineer. So, and my mother was always, you know, she was uh, she uh, retired as a nurse. So, a very caring, on the other hand, and very sort of, intellectual and problem solving on the other. And I bring both of those hmm. sets of, uh, you know, virtues to the, the work that I do or I, or I try to, you know. So the spirit has a way of bringing all that stuff, you know, all those virtues that are honed and formed throughout life into what he wants you to do, which he then makes clear through an external call of some sort, yeah. you know. It's so, it's so helpful. Um, I remember being in seminary and I was really wrestling with, with all this stuff. Maybe I just wrestle a lot. I don't know. But um, I, I remember um, you, were, you were talking about the, the will of God is hidden to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, reading uh, the, the uh, bondage of the will by Luther and, and learning about the hidden God and, and just that concept, which is kind of terrifying in some mm -hmm. respects because God doesn't reveal his entire will to us right. uh, but but it's it's particularly what's comforting in that moment is reflecting on how Jesus interacted even in the garden mm. Jesus encountered the hiddenness of God's will right he didn't mm -hmm. know what was going to happen right. he he had a, a hunch I think that he was going to be put on a cross but but he's pleading if this be mm. if you know if, if if there's any way um, and 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 so he kind of yields to the Father in prayer, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. So you have, a, you have a section in your book in Receiver, Bearer, and Giver of God's Spirit. Uh, toward the, toward the, the latter uh, end of it, toward the end, mm -hmm. uh, chapter 8 is praying to the Father in the Spirit, reclaiming the church's participation in the Son's prayer life. So... Um, my question is for our listeners who maybe are also wrestling with mm -hmm. what's the will of God for my life or what, what, what should I do? Should I go to seminary? Should I not? Mm -hmm. Where should I serve? All those kinds of questions. Right. Um, how does Jesus' prayer life in the spirit to the Father, how does that help the Christian? Well, I think one of the things it, it does is that it places the whole question of service in its proper place mm. you know in other words the, the question about how i should serve shouldn't focus on the i mm. <laughs> we focus a lot on that don't we yeah right? you know like uh i i think you have to start somewhere else you mm. have to start with god and yeah. i think that's that's one of the great lessons of, of prayer you know and the one of the things i tell people when you're discerning what god wants you to do in your life uh First, make this a God thing. Mm. Don't make it a, you know, a, a, a Micah or Ben or Leo thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I think prayer go, uh, does. Um, prayer in the life of Jesus would be part of the rhythm of a life that is, um, uh, that is lived in devotion to the, fa uh, to the Father and service to the neighbor. But he's not just serving all the time. There are times when he goes to the mountain. Right? And he kind of withdraws from the crowds. Mm -hmm. and, and basically what he's saying is about the Father and his mission. Mm -hmm. 
And so Jesus spends time with the Father in prayer, right? And, uh, and so that then uh, his service uh, takes on the will of what the Father wants the service to be. I mean, this is part of, you know, Jesus submitting himself in his humiliation to the Father and his direction, and the direction of his spirit, we might say. So I think what we learn is that it's okay to think about discerning God's will, beginning with not activity, what kinds of things can I do, but begin with receptivity, mm. you know. Uh, find your mountain, whatever your mountain is, you know. For some people, it's, you got to close the doors. For some people, they go out into the park or whatever, you know. You got to find that, that mountain uh, and not let the activity of what is it that I'm supposed to be doing take over mm. time listening yeah. from the Father, you know. And, uh, and that means also, I think, studying the Word. You might be reading the Word and all of a sudden there are certain things that apply to your life. And so how do you find out? Spend time in the Word. That, that's mm. the going to the mountain part. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus exemplifies this form of life for us that you know, that uh, the question of the call is oriented first towards what the Father wants to do through His Spirit in our lives. Jesus allows that to happen in His life. And we're His disciples. We're no greater than our Master. So for us, it's the same, you know. Yeah. So spend time on the mountain is what I would say. <laughs> That's so good. I think sometimes we, we spend a lot of time focusing on the cross and the empty tomb yeah. uh, as Lutherans. And, and we talk maybe a little bit less about what Jesus did throughout his life. We always want to bring it to the cross and the resurrection, which I think is absolutely correct. I'm not speaking against right. that. One thing that Luther and Walther and other Lutheran uh, fathers were nervous about was using Jesus' life as an example. So look, Jesus right. did all these great things. You go and do that. And they were, mm. th that's dangerous, right? But this this incorporation that you talk about um, where, where Jesus includes us into his prayer life. Yes. That's kind of a whole different way to look at right. the life and ministry of Jesus, where Jesus mm -hmm. is kind of saying, be, be with me. I'll, I'll go to the mountain. I'm, uh, yeah, right. It's kind of an interesting yeah, idea. So in other words, it's, here's another, you remember those, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Brace yeah, us right, back in the right, day. Right. We're showing our age here a little bit. You know? <laughs> But the idea was figure out what Jesus is doing and then you do what he's doing, you know. And, uh, but I think it's a lot more in your face than that. Mm. It's, more about, it's more like this. So Jesus prayed to the Father in the Spirit. In baptism, he has given you that Spirit. So now get ready because the Spirit is going to do Spirit things. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it's not so much that I have to cross this divide between me and Jesus out yeah, there somewhere. Yeah, it's like yeah. Jesus comes to me in here through his spirit who dwells in me and now the spirit gives me the shape of jesus wow. that highlights the giftedness of the spirit forming you to be like jesus rather than me trying to cross some divide the spirit yeah. the spirit bridges that divide wow in That's our good. lives yeah my, my one well easily my favorite illustration from this comes from romans chapter 5 that while yeah. we were still enemies to god he poured his spirit into our hearts and uh, Whenever like God is pouring something like that, it's yeah. always this this vi visual of abundance, right? Yeah. And my my youngest son, who's who's soon to be five in December, when he's asking for a cup of water, he'll say, 
I, I need a cup full with water. Not just a cup of water. He wants a cup full <laughs> with water. And it, just, it's, it, oh, it always makes me smile because it's this idea of abundance. He gets it. He, mm. he wants this abundance of a thing. And that when God is pouring his spirit into our hearts, whether you were sprinkled with water, whether mm. some was poured from a shell over your head, whether you had full immersion, in that moment of uh, sacramental union between us and God, mm. uh, he has given us his Holy Spirit in abundance mm. so that in our greatest moments, the Holy Spirit is there rejoicing with us. And in, in our weakest moments, the Holy Spirit is there as our paraclete, as our uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, paraclete. Help the, me out, guys. The teacher of Com- truth. Comforter. There we go. Encourager. Our comforter, encourager. Yeah. There we go. Uh, in abundance. Um, yeah. And, and not the, the danger then becomes for, I think, a lot of people, me included, is that when we're struggling, we look internally. But look externally uh, where God is present in his word for you yeah. in prayer, through his word. Actually read God's word. Just don't think about it. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you'll see that abundance of love, mercy, grace, care mm. come to life for you. It's, it's not a it, – it, well, it is the, the cure-all for, for sin, yeah. and eventually we'll experience that. But it is a way of, of just binding this up in everything, yeah. it, whether, no matter what you're doing. Uh, the Holy Spirit is there with you in your daily vocation, in abundance, again, in every different situation and season in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something remarkably um, just uh, uh, delightful, comforting about knowing that the Spirit is pure gift to yeah. us. You know, and this, this goes back to the Anabaptist thing. We don't receive the Spirit by works. This is Galatians, right? Have you received the Spirit by works of the law? No, <laughs> right? You receive the Spirit by faith, yep. you know? So, in other words, the giftedness of the Spirit, it is yours, right? It is God's, Christ's gift to you. And so now you just kind of ride the wave, right? Mm-hmm. So, so act like the Spirit is God's gift to you, which means you can pray things like, come Holy Spirit and guide me in the path that I should go, that I might do things according to your word and in service to people. I mean, why not ask the Holy Spirit, right? Right. I mean, this is so avail yourself of the gift that is yours, right? As opposed to asking, you know, what are the kinds of things that I should be doing so that then somehow the Spirit will reveal his will to me. No, I mean, the spirit is yours already. So act like it. So, you know, <laughs> as a spirit for guidance, as a spirit for the staring, right? And the way to go. And uh, don't be shy about, the, you know, this gift that is ours, right? Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then be, be surprised what, by what follows. <laughs> so I, I want to take you up on that and ask you to do that. Um, yeah. to not be shy about some of the gifts that God has given us through you. Um, so as we're closing things up here, listeners might be thinking, hey, I, I kind of like what Dr. Sanchez is saying. I, I wish that I could hear more of what he has to mm-hmm. say. So I've, I've spoken about your, your first book, Receiver, Bearer, and Giver of God's Spirit. You said right. um, before we were, as we were getting ready for this, ooh, that's, that's dense. That's a thick, <laughs> that's a thick read. And it is. It's, um, you got to sit yes. down and really uh, have your, your thinking cap on when you're, when you're working through this stuff. But 
toward the end you get really practical and you had a you have a chapter on models of sanctification in this book which became book two would you tell us just a little bit about book two that might be a little more accessible and and easy for uh somebody that's not been to seminary yet to pick up and uh spend a little time with so receiver bearer and giver of god's spirit was my first uh, book in english uh on the on the place of the spirit in the life of Christ. But it does read like a dissertation sometimes, right? So it could be rather dense. The last chapter, as you mentioned, is on sanctification, uh, which has to do with holiness, you know, how we live everyday life. And so that became a book of its own. It's called Sculptor Spirit. The spirit gives us the shape, like a sculptor uh, gives shape to a mass, gives us the shape of Christ. So what I do is I present five ways in which the spirit forms Christ in us so you know it's kind of meat and potatoes uh, spirituality as opposed to just being a generic kind of thing uh, so the the book shows five different ways and so uh, it's more accessible uh, it's more devotional in some ways in the way that it presents content in some places it could be quite theological that's mostly chapters one and two but i would say start reading from chapter three uh, and towards the end, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. But it's also, I think, better writing, just because the lo- the more we teach, you know, and the more we write, the better we get at it yeah. over time. Yeah. And that's another thing to keep in mind, too, you know, that when the Spirit calls you, He will give you what we call here entry-level competence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but through the learning curve that comes afterwards the spirit will continue to give you what is necessary and we pray that in ordinations right yeah we pray for the holy spirit to come down and give the one who is called the necessary gifts to do his work or her work i don't know do we have a a a call for deaconesses we should for all church workers we should have a come holy spirit prayer asking the spirit to give the person call whatever Mm -hmm. the calling is the gifts to do what they need to do and that is something that can be honed uh, over time. You know, it's not all like immediately given. Some pe- sometimes people think the spirit, everything that the spirit gives is immediate, boom. No, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's massage over time, you know. And so I think uh, the book is an example of that, I think. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So listeners, uh, it's about time for us to wrap up because here at Concordia Seminary, it's 9.30 a.m. and it's time for us to uh, uh, make our way over to chapel here in a few minutes to receive God's gifts. Uh, But uh, maybe maybe check out Sculptor Spirit and uh, uh, learn a little bit more from Dr. Sanchez. This has been a a great episode to uh, think about how the Holy Spirit is involved in our callings and how we reflect on those, how we join uh, Jesus' prayer life um, by the Spirit who's been given to us. And uh, we're grateful for you, Dr. Sanchez, and for the work that God is doing through you here at Concordia Seminary. Thank you. Likewise. Yep, and thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time.